Tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 8, verses 20, no, 14 to 22. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks so much, Katie. I've got to be honest. Katie finished that and I was just sitting there waiting for the next person to get up. It could be a bit of a problem. <laughs> so tonight we're going to continue uh, looking um, at Matthew, and uh, obviously Matthew eight fourteen to 22. And as I look through this passage, uh, I actually found it greatly encouraging. Uh, so I hope that as we move through it, you'll be likewise encouraged and challenged. And uh, so what, what I believe that this is actually telling us is that Christ is our example. And I think as we look at what happens around Jesus in this, in this passage, um, we will see quite a few things that uh, lead us to follow Jesus as we should. So this account starts with Jesus entering Peter's house. And we may be aware um, that Jesus has been doing many things prior to this. But I wonder if we're aware that many of these things that happen in, in the prior uh, accounts are actually happening on the same day. Uh, in Mark 1, uh, it tells us that Jesus has been at the synagogue and uh, he healed a demon-possessed man there. And uh, I have no doubt that he would have contributed to the readings and the explanations of Scripture, as was his habit in those days as well. So Jesus has been quite busy already. And then he leaves the synagogue. And as, he know, as we know, as he left the synagogue and he started traveling to his home, in inverted commas, because he doesn't have a home, uh, he hears the call of the centurion uh, to actually go and heal his servant. So Jesus says, yes, I'll go and heal this servant as well. And so... Um, what we need to keep in mind is Jesus is the Son of God. He's fully man and fully God. But being fully man, he gets weary as well. And, and so every time he does something like this, every time he heals someone, there's power that goes out of him and, and it takes something from him. And we don't know um, what's happening with Jesus, but I believe that he goes to Peter's house. He's staying at Peter's house. And I believe he goes to, Jesus house, uh, to Peter's house actually to get some rest as well. And we know that Jesus did retreat from the crowds and things like that to rest and refresh and those types of things. So after leaving, leaving the synagogue and healing the centurion's servant, he, he heads towards Peter's home. And he comes into the privacy of this house and perhaps he's looking for somewhere just to sit quietly or lay down or go up on the roof as, as was uh, the, the habits in uh, Israel and particularly um, uh, near the coast there at Capernaum and that as well. Um, so he has this need. And whatever that need is, wherever he's gone there, he enters this house and then he's made aware that there's someone who's not well there. And he doesn't hesitate. 
He goes and he does what he can. He addresses the issue. He does what he can for this particular person. And Jesus never tires of helping. He never goes, you know what, come back tomorrow. He, he never leaves anyone hanging. He's never too weary to listen. He never considers any person or situation below him. His love, his power, his acceptance and his willingness to help is constant. It was then, it is now. And he was willing to help them. I believe he's still willing to help us today. Let's pause and pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you're the living, risen Christ. And I thank you that what we learn about you from Scripture, Lord, is just incredible. And I thank you that even now you're interceding for me, you're interceding for each one of us at the right hand of God the Father. And Lord, I ask you to pray for me. I ask you to pray for us. I ask that we'll just hear your voice this evening through power of Holy Spirit and that we'll respond to you, Lord. You are a good God, a blessed Saviour. And I want to know you more. I trust that's true for each of us. So speak to us this evening, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When we think about the three healings that we've had in Matthew 8 so far, we see that Jesus heals this leper. And in healing the leper, he crossed this purity barrier, something that was put in place where, you know, you couldn't touch lepers, you couldn't do those types of things. So Jesus crossed that barrier there. And then he heals this centurion servant. And when he healed the centurion servant, he crossed ethnic or cultural barriers as well because he was a Gentile and a priest as Jesus was or a rabbi should not have actually crossed that barrier but Jesus did so anyway and in this account we see Jesus crossing the gender barrier as well the person that he's dealing with the person he heals is actually a female and what we see with this woman is that she's actually safe to serve and there are a few things which again, we could easily gloss over if we're not taking our time to look at what is actually being said when we look at Scripture. And I think one of the first things is actually tied to the, the house itself. And we read, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with fever. Now Matthew says that this house belongs to Peter. And what is actually significant here is that when we first hear about Peter, back in John 1.44, he's living in Bethesda. And we know that Jesus calls them in uh, Matthew 4, 19 and 20. And he says, come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And we have this picture within our mind that they left behind all their responsibilities. They just dumped it all and they took off after Jesus. But what we need to realize is, Jesus will never, ever call someone to follow him at the cost of or sacrifice of things that matter to Jesus anyway. Jesus values and affirms marriage. Jesus values and affirms families. So Jesus is never going to call anyone to leave their wife, to leave their husband, to leave their children, because that makes a mockery of what he affirms and values in those particular things. And we know Peter was married. We know he was married because it's his mother-in-law that is healed. By Jesus and so he is called to follow Jesus but Jesus does not call him to abandon his family 
or his responsibilities to them. And while it's true that Peter says in Matthew 19.27 that the disciples have given up everything to follow Jesus, he's talking about the lifestyle of the people of a fisherman he's talking about the possessions they had in that he's talking about how they made their income and money he's not talking about leaving everything as in his wife and his family and his responsibilities in housing them so peter's mother-in-law is lying in bed with a fever and there's evidence and reasoning which suggests that this is most likely malaria. There's a whole reason why that is so, and I'm not going to go into it right now. But regardless of what's happening, whether it's malaria or something else, she is laying in bed unwell with a fever. And Jesus doesn't hesitate in his actions. He comes into this place. And I believe he was tired. I believe he was looking for rest. But the way Jesus conducts himself in privacy in this house is exactly how he conducts himself before the multitude. It doesn't change. There's no, nothing that Jesus does that sh, you know, he'd be ashamed of if it was exposed. And so this woman who needs help, he's willing to help. And whether he's with the crowds, if there's someone who needs help, he's willing to help. He's constant, he's consistent, he's true. And we're told that Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. And here in Matthew, it says that he touched her hand. In Mark, it says that Jesus took her hand. And in Luke, it says that he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And each account of this healing is the perspective of the person who's writing. So it's not contradictory. It's just the way they interpret it, the way they saw it happen. And so what is constant in each of those accounts is that Jesus has authority over this disease. He has authority over this fever. And because of his presence and his intervention, this woman is healed instantly. The effect of his healing is immediate. There's no side effects. And it's so complete that she rises in response and serves Jesus. It says that she served him. It doesn't say she served everyone in the house. She served him. I don't think you should overlook this. This isn't just about a lady. I don't know what you picture in your mind. This isn't just about a lady jumping up, running into the kitchen to make Jesus a meal. That's not what this is saying. This is so much bigger than that. It is huge. There's a Greek word used here. Deakonau. Deakonau. It's a Greek word that is used here. And this means to be an attendant to wait upon, to act as a host or a friend or a teacher. It means technically to act as a Christian deacon, diaconal. Can you hear the deacon in that? That's exactly what this word is. So when it says that she rose to serve Jesus, that's the terminology that is being used. The root word here is referring to one who is a deacon. And so she is acting as a person who holds the office of deacon. And this is a level of service and motivation which comes from that deep sense of gratitude in what Jesus has done for her. She acknowledges the healing that Jesus has done, but she sees so much more in who this guy is. And isn't this the foundation, or shouldn't it be, the foundation of what should motivate us each and every day? as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only by the intervention of Christ that we receive anything. 
And so in receiving him and his free gift of salvation, we should express our gratitude in serving him in obedience, like a deacon. We're told that in the evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed the sick. And they brought them in the evening. Again, have you thought about this? Because, again, this is all happening on the Sabbath. So the reason why the people brought these people in the evening was they couldn't work during the day. And bringing someone to be healed was considered work. The only way you could actually help someone who was sick was if they were actually going to die if you didn't intervene. Apart from that, if they were sick, if they had fever, if they were just going through that process, you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. And so as it comes evening, the Sabbath stops. When night falls, that's it. It's all over. So they wait until... The Sabbath is finished, and then they bring these people to Jesus. So this definition of work even covers helping those who are unable to help themselves. Pretty sad state, really. And as I say, you could help someone if they're in that life and death situation, but when sick, nothing you could do. That would be work, and you can't actually go there. And so these people come after the sun sets, and Jesus is able to heal all who were sick there's no exceptions whatever it was that they came with him they would some were demon possessed and he cast out those spirits some had fever and he managed to heal them and it didn't matter what they came with jesus healed them all no exceptions and although it wasn't clear to those who were part of these events we're told that this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet isaiah he took our illnesses And he bore our diseases. And this is pointing to the cross. This is pointing to the finished work of Jesus. This is pointing to that new covenant in his blood. His blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And I want you to think about that because we don't think in these terms often. All sickness and death is a consequence of sin entering the world. All of it. Jesus' ministry... His life, death, and resurrection burst the reversing of the cycle of sin and death. And Matthew's alluding to Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus came to take away the sickness of his people. His healings at this time began to roll back the effects of sin on his creation. Sin and death are ultimately defeated on the cross. And at that time, there was a great belief that sickness was a result of sin. Not all sickness is a result of sin. Some is, personal sin that is. But sickness and death was never part of God's original plan in his creation. Jesus took our illnesses, and bore our diseases. He took and carried. That's what this actually says. And so it indicates that they're completely removed. He took them. By his wounds, I am healed. You are healed. So one day, we can stand in his presence in glory. No more tears. No more death, no more mourning, no more pain. It will be forever finished. 
because of what Jesus did. Followers of Jesus live in the hope of this glory. That when that time comes, but in the here and now, following Jesus involves sacrifice. We move on to this next verse in Matthew. And what occurs seems a little surprising. Jesus came into this world to redeem the lost. And here he is surrounded by crowds. And we're told that, you know, he has these crowds around him. It's these same crowds that are the object of his ministry. It is them that he invites into the kingdom to become his disciples. But right now he calls his followers to cross to the other side. It's like, well, what's going on? This is what Jesus is here for. And in the next few verses, we hear of a couple of men who stepped up, who wanted to remain with Jesus. And the first one, he's a scribe. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus makes this incredible answer. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Young people, this is how I'm going to answer you from now on. Charlie, are you home? I have wheels on my car and fuel in the tank. I should try that, eh? We'll see what happens. But when we read this, it's like, really? What's he saying? Like, what? I mean, what's the go here? And I'm not sure if you understand who scribes were. We've got a fair idea. But scribes were teachers. They, they were interpreters of Scripture. They were the regulators of the law. And in Galilee, the scribes weren't... I don't know. They didn't have the social status that they did in Jerusalem. But they were still pretty important people. So they were the officials in Galilee that acted in the synagogues and things like that. They were the teachers and interpreters. But while in Jerusalem, uh, scribes, they actually had a much higher status. They, they were uh, also... Um, teachers and interpreters but they were linked to the chief priests they were part of the Sanhedrin and so they were all experts in the law but the ones in Jerusalem were a cut above everyone else really and so this guy he would have been a disciple of a rabbi at some time until he completed his course of study and then he would have become a legal expert himself so this guy would have been held in pretty high regard amongst people so in addressing Jesus in addressing Jesus as rabbi or teacher uh, he's and saying that he'll follow Jesus, what he's basically saying is, I want to be a follower of yours, and I want to apprentice with you, I want you to teach me, I want you to train me, and in time, I'm going to make a decision as to whether to stay with you or not, whether I'm going to move on. And so what he wants to do, he wants to sample all the teachers out there and find the one that's relevant for him, the one he thinks is going to work. And so um, Jesus' response is still a little surprising, but in context, it's actually very, very relevant. And, And so Jesus says about the foxes and everything to this guy. And so in context, rabbis or teachers enjoyed this high status in Jerusalem. So this scribe was expecting that Jesus would be like the other teachers, the other teachers of the law. And so Jesus would have this school. At the very least, he'd have exclusive access to a synagogue. And then Jesus would have this incredible house where he would just have people come over and they discuss deep spiritual things and things like that. And Jesus would have this incredible place of honor and respect amongst the leaders. And so this scribe wanted to become a part of that. He wanted to be part of what Jesus was doing and part of Jesus' social circles and things like that. But then Jesus says, well, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And what he's saying is, I don't have any place of my own. I know that's what you want. I don't own a home. 
I don't have a place to teach. I don't have access to a synagogue which is exclusively mine for my use. I live with others. I borrow my disciples' beds. I don't have an established institution that we will become a part of. And I'm not going to increase your social standing. If anything, it's going to be the opposite. And so this guy would go away shocked. His expectations were unrealistic. He didn't understand who Jesus was. And after this man comes another. And I I believe that this second guy, Jesus says to him, mate, you need to seize the moment. And in these early stages of Jesus' ministry, we see people coming to him and saying they want to follow him. But they come with their expectations of what being a disciple means. None of us do that, hey? We all just go with what Jesus says. But they come with these expectations based on previous experiences. And then Jesus begins here indicating that following him is different to following any other. Jesus will have no disciples except those who submit to him and his conditions. Following Jesus on his terms, not what someone thinks is acceptable. And this man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Again, it seems so callous, it seems so harsh. And it says here that this man is another of the disciples. How's that work? We we know that this guy's not part of the inner 12. He's not part of those that Jesus has chosen. But what actually happens is that this is one of the ones that is gathered around Jesus. And it's this group who don't fully understand who Jesus is or what being a disciple means. They're following Jesus because they're seeing the miracles. They're seeing Jesus do these incredible things. They're hearing him speak with authority, but they don't understand any of that. They're more or less groupies. They're hanging on to him. And so this man says he'll follow, but he wants to bury his father first and foremost. And we've seen that he understands the importance of severing ties with his family in light of his commitment to Jesus. He's saying, well, once that's done and dusted, Lord, I'll follow you. There'll be nothing else that distracts me. And so he's acknowledging his need to do that. And he's acknowledging that there should be no one or anything that hinders his commitment to Jesus. And so he says, let me bury my dad first. Then I'll be able to do that. Seems fine. And the tension comes here because of something we miss. And it's the importance of burying parents in Israel. And to understand this, uh, we can look at the priests. And, and when we look at the priests in the Old Testament, they weren't permitted to touch a body at all. They weren't permitted to do anything with those who had died because they would become unclean. The one exception was if it was their father or a close relative that died. So much so that there's this whole list of things that when they're exempted because of a father or close relative dying, there's a whole list of things that they were permitted to stop doing uh, if they were attending to a father or close relative. They didn't have to say the Shema anymore. And that's their daily prayer that they'd say three times a day. They didn't have to study the law. They didn't have to go to the temple. They didn't have to uh, do any circumcision rites that they should do with their kids at eight days if that happened during this burial time. They didn't need to kill a Passover lamb if if that happened during um, the Passover, if that death occurred at that time. So this is taken very, very seriously. Even if the priests are given all these exceptions, just 
so that they can bury someone in their family. So this disciple coming and requesting that he bury his father first is not as ridiculous as we may have first thought. But it's most likely this guy's father is still alive and, and that's okay too. And rather than this being about burial rites, you know, his father's not sick. This is about looking after his father in his later years, making sure that he's there to honour his father uh, in that time and to look after him. And, and it's what is expected of a dutiful son. And so it doesn't come, become about a commitment to Jesus, a commitment to obeying God. It's about what I should do in context with my community. He's effectively saying to Jesus, someday I'll follow you, but later, after my father's died. And Jesus' reply is direct. It's not open to interpretation. Follow me. It's not negotiable. The way the Greek is written, this literally means, follow me and keep on following me. It means, make the decision now and continue to make that decision. Follow me. It's literally, don't let anyone or anything get in the way of following me. Seize the moment. Now is the time. Let the bury, that dead bury their own dead. And Jesus is offering life and, and the life that he is offering is eternal. Don't allow yourself to be drawn away from the promise of the kingdom. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. That's basically what he's saying. And the bottom line here is that Jesus is elevating the call to follow him above all other allegiances. He does it here and he does it in other parts of Scripture, challenging his followers on many occasions not to have any family commitment as a priority over their commitment to him. And of course, we are to honour our parents, as Scripture says. But the supremacy of Christ as our Lord must be heeded above all else. When we think about the account of the people we've read about in Scripture tonight, they're all in different stages of belief. And so my first question tonight has to be, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? And if you can't answer that with an overwhelmingly positive yes, then I have to ask you, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? It's not a question to be taken lightly. But I can't force you into the kingdom. But if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, don't walk away without talking about this. And especially, particularly, if you sense a stirring in your heart. That isn't me. That isn't trickery. That isn't saying the right words at the right time. It isn't an emotive thing. That is Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's Holy Spirit drawing you to God. I can't do that. And I ask you, don't make excuses. Don't think that you can wait until you're older. Think about this guy who said... I'll follow you, Jesus, but first let me bury my dad. When I'm older, Jesus, I'll follow you. And so many people make those excuses. So many people say, I'll have plenty of time for Jesus when I get older. What if you don't? What if you don't get older? Seize the moment. You can't place anybody or anything above the call of Jesus. 
Jesus said, follow me. Don't delay. You may not get another chance. This could be it. Now, for those of you who say you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, are you following him? Have you committed yourself fully to him? There were two men we read about tonight who were disciples of Jesus. They claimed to be following Jesus. They claimed to be doing so without any reservations, but there were reservations. They wanted to follow Jesus on their terms. They wanted to do things their way. They believed in Jesus to a bit, but they weren't willing to submit fully to him. And this isn't the way a follower of Jesus should react or respond. Following Jesus is about giving up my rights. It's about giving my desire for life away. It's about giving up my desire for career and saying, Jesus, it is no longer my way, it is your way. I am willing to submit all of myself to you. And these two men come to Jesus with preconceived ideas of what following Jesus should look like. And we cannot do that. We must look to Scripture and see what Scripture says. And we're told if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to submit to Him and we have to obey Him. Are we doing that? Do we submit fully to Him? Because we've come to a point of understanding all He has done for us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not by works so no one should boast. The faith I have received is a result of what God has done to me. He has drawn me to Himself. The life I live is because He has guided me. I'm a pastor, not through my own strength or ability, not through anything I have done. It's because of the call of God upon my life. And I know there's many of you who may think I'm just saying that. But I can honestly say the only good in my life is because of Jesus. I know what I was once like. And there is nothing good in me because of who Charlie is. It is Christ and Christ alone. And, and when I give my life to Jesus, he gives me this free gift. It's called Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit indwells me. And, and Holy Spirit guides me, instructs me, teaches me, admonishes me, prompts me, and, and is a companion, a faithful companion. Never leaves me, never forsakes me. And every believer in Christ has the same spirit. I'm so thankful for the difference he's made in my life. And I just want to live more and more for him. And my family... I'll testify to the fact I'm far from perfect. Way, way far from perfect. But I've got a God and a Saviour who picks me up out of the dust, brushes me off, and encourages me to walk further with Him again. He walks with me. I want you to think about Peter's mother-in-law. She rose from the bed and she served Him out of gratitude. Do you know what Jesus has done for you? Do you know what taking your sin upon himself cost him? Do you know the sacrifice that he made? The same call to serve that was on Peter's mother-in-law is on each one of us. Each and every one of us. Our works do not save us. That's impossible. But we serve Jesus because of the sacrifice that he made in order that I can be with him and be with him for eternity. 
And my question is, how will you serve him? Your gifts, your talents, your abilities are all given to you by God. And if you're at SDBC, if this is the place you call home, then you have been designed and made the way you are in order that you fit into a unique spot in this church to serve God in this place at this time. And if you're not presently serving God, you need to. And I believe that there's a stirring happening at SDBC. We're seeing more and more people stepping up and volunteering for roles. And I believe that is going to continue. And you need to be a part of that. If you're not serving at the moment, you need to. He's made you for a specific purpose in this place. And you know what? He doesn't make mistakes. There's some really freaky, strange people here. And I can praise God for them. You might think I'm one of them. Praise God for that. I mean, seriously. Could you imagine if I was standing up here and it was just a church full of Charlies? I mean, that would be terrible. But we're all unique. We're all designed in a specific way. We all have our weird little quirks and design faults. So we think, but that's how God designed us. To perfectly fit into the body that he calls the church. And each and every part that is fit into that body has a function and a purpose which only that part of the body can do. That's you. You have a purpose here at SDBC. Will you serve him? Are you playing your part in the body of Christ? Because he's made you that way for that specific purpose. You're a son or daughter of the Most High God. Never lose sight of that. It is a privilege and an honour to serve him. And if you call SDBC home, he's calling you to serve here. And trust me, we've got a thousand opportunities for you. We'd love to talk to you about that. <clears throat> Let's close in prayer. Father God, oh, I, just, I just want to thank you first and foremost that you're my Lord and Saviour. And I thank you that's true for so many here, Lord. It is such a blessing to know you. And I thank you, Lord, that you want to know, or you want me to know you more. And I thank you that you meet with me, you talk to me, you show me things from your word that I never thought I'd see, Lord. And it's just such a privilege and honor to know you. And Lord, I pray for us as a people, that will be true for each and every one of us. And Lord, if there's anyone here in the auditorium or at home who doesn't understand that, who doesn't know that, in having a relationship with you, Lord, I pray they'll talk to me. I pray they'll talk to a trusted Christian friend. I pray, Lord, that they'll talk to you. Lord, they, they may not know how to pray, but I just ask that they'll be willing to say, Lord, reveal your truth to me, the truth of who you are, and that they'll pray that genuinely, Lord, and that you, by power of Holy Spirit, will be able to reveal yourself to them in any way you see fit, Lord. But Father, I ask, if you've been touching lives tonight, here or in people's homes, that they won't be satisfied just walking away, that they'll realize they, they need to serve you, and, and Lord, they serve you because of what you've done for us. And Lord, I just want to thank you for your sacrifice. I want to thank you for your love that motivated that. I want to thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and you encourage and strengthen us, Lord. I want to thank you that whatever we need, whatever task or role you give us, whatever we need, we can ask you. And when we ask within your will, you give us whatever we need. Lord, I never thought I'd be a pastor. I thank you you've equipped me for this role. And I thank you that I've seen many lives transformed and changed. Not because of who Charlie is, but because of who you are in me. 
And I pray everyone here will experience that joy of seeing people brought into the kingdom because you can work through them. Because they make the decision right here, right now, to be obedient to you, first and foremost, by telling others about you and by teaching them to be obedient to your word, by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, please join us as we sing our final song.